I got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting down these stars. Cause when it rain, then it pours. And I'm ready for some more. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sells, a show for closers. My name's Kevin Hill, your host as always, and we are live here on Freight Waves TV. It's Tuesday noon Eastern time, and that's our time slot. That's when Put That Coffee Down is there for a half hour show each week with some of the best guests on Freight TV. And we have one coming up in just a few moments. Matthew Leffler, he's the armchair attorney. And we're going to talk some of the, the legal issues coming down, especially on freight brokerages. Uh, everyone's talking about double brokerages and um, double brokering fraud. So we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about transparency and rates and, and exactly what happened a couple weeks ago and what that could mean or does mean uh, coming down the pipe for freight brokers. It all affects your sales. So we are going to that. Um in addition, TV show, been doing a lot of audio only uh, podcasts uh, that have been publishing out on our podcast channel. And you can get those on either Freightcast, which encompasses everything in FreightWaves uh, podcast universe into one easy channel that Dooner manages and Frazier Good Game 2. Uh, he actually really probably manages his day to day. So kudos to, to Frazier there. And um, or put that coffee down our own specific channel, wherever you download podcasts or there's, you know, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. You can find that. So uh, some great guests on there, a little bit longer form, a little bit more uh, conversational or roundabout, or maybe going down a few rabbit holes uh, that I should, and, and probably some that I shouldn't. So check those out, go subscribe, give us a like, Give us some comments. It helps uh, helps with art distribution and reaching everyone just to talk about cells. Conversation about cells. And now we're going to have a conversation about framework, how that translates into cells and cell strategies going into the really the back half of 2023 now and into 2024. Maybe one of the days, these days the market will change. It will turn. It always does. It just takes forever sometimes. But this is the best time. I've been talking about it the last few weeks or last six months, last 12 months now with the, the market uh, very loose is this is the best time to get out in front, collect those no's, get to know a lot of customers, a lot of prospects, a lot of buyers, potential buyers who are saying no, not right now because that market's going to turn. And if you keep in front of them, if you keep engaged, even if you're not winning any business now, once they, they have that need arises, once that need arises, you're going to be in prime spot to capture the up market. Because if you wait to capture that up market and get out there and sell and hustle, you're going to miss most of it. You're going to be playing catch up and you don't want to do that. But now let's let's turn our attention to legal matters, which uh, sometimes gets us all into a little bit of hot water unless we get in front of those as well. So we have Matthew Leffler here. Armchair attorney joining us, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I always like talking to you. We talked on the radio. We talked. To, we we did our own audio podcast not too long ago, talking about legal issues. We have a few more legal issues, but it's, it's always great legal advice. And you always make me think about topics and and, and twists and turns 
legalese that I haven't considered yet. So hopefully we do that once again today. Yeah, absolutely. As always, tell everybody, uh, don't take legal advice from a podcast or a TV show. If you have a legal question, you should probably get an attorney. But in the meantime, let's let's talk about some freight and let's talk about law, man. Yeah, let's talk about freight. Let's talk about law. Let's talk about what you should maybe questions for your own legal advisor that's not a podcaster uh, that, that you have on retainer, probably if, you, if you're running a freight brokerage. Um, but but let's talk about that. Um, where, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with double brokering or do you want to talk with transparency and rates? I will give you the let's start with Let's start with transparency. Everybody wants transparency. They want to know where their stuff is, but it seems that some intermediaries don't necessarily want people to know all about what they're charging, what they're getting paid. I don't think they do, probably. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But yeah, I, I think um, transparency in rates is, uh, is you know, from the, the execution of how you even go about doing this to trade secrets with customers and confidentiality agreements. There, there's a lot of back and forth and different interests and different parties that should have a say in this and, and different legal precedents probably apply to maybe just having a general rule that's already in fact, but, you know, usually it, yeah, in that's most a agreement, there's a rule, that yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a rule out here right now. It's called th- it's 371.3. This is a rule that has been around for a while. And this rule is what allows anybody who's been part of a transaction. So brokers are required to keep information for a period of three years on deals that they do for moving something from a shipper and the motor carrier. Everybody who's in that transaction has a right to review the record of that transaction. That's why they're kept. What we've seen happen over the last few years is people and organizations have been putting contracts in place where people are waiving their rights and not being able to review the documents that they should be a part of. So this question keeps comes around. It's a cyclical business, right? There's, there's feast, there's famine, there's ebbs, there's flows. But at the end of the day, there's a legal requirement to keep information and make it available for parties. And what some brokerages have kind of learned how to do is have you waive that right. And what we've seen just recently is that there's been movement uh, to try to take that entire provision out of the code, make the records retention and making them available for other people to see go away. And it seems the FMCSA is not so amenable to removing these things because even though the FMCSA is really deeply concerned about safety and transportation, they do care a lot about the intermediaries that get involved and what information the intermediaries are required to keep and produce on demand. So that's one of these really interesting questions on, on transparency that we see happening right now. Uh, how do you get access to documents if you've waived the right to have them? This is a real question that the FMCSA and others are looking to understand. It is a real question. It's something TIA, and I, I think the latest bit of news is about the TIA's petition to uh, remove that altogether was denied. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly I, right. I always wonder when I talk about legal myself, because I'm certainly not a lawyer, and you should never take legal advice from me. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, the TIA really wanted to remove this because for their members, their intermediaries, there is value in making sure that people don't see other sides of the transaction. They might claim trade secrets or other things, but the code is pretty clear. Like, you have to make these available. Now, if you've 
been able to surreptitiously have someone wave it, maybe you don't have to worry about that. But this idea of transparency is how much money is anyone making on a given thing? No one really knows. And you could know this if you're a motor carrier, if you ask for these records, because you're supposed to give them, unless again, you've waived your rights, which a lot of people do because they don't read the contracts that are put in front of them. Well, no one reads a contract. I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, really, I mean, no exactly one's right. a contract. Yeah, are there other precedences for other industries, other like intermediaries that this is pretty common for? I, I go back to financials and, and stock brokerage so that they always had to, uh, to uh, you know, their commission fees. I think they hid those for years and then they finally had to, to publish those back in like the, the 80s or, or something like that. Are, are there is that a, a good analogy or is there any other good analogies out there for industries where the intermediary has to share the, the cut of the margin that they get with everybody else? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't necessarily think it's applicable on the banking side or raise like, you know, stock brokering, that kind of thing. You usually want to disclose all of your fees, like transparency to your customers, super duper important, telling them where you see your, where your, your path is. So there's always things with comes people's money, the disclosure that happened for intermediaries there. When we get into this business to business deals, that becomes a little bit more interesting. There's not the same level of, um, stringency when it comes to disclosing fees that are taken by intermediaries. This being the case, we see this with maintenance brokering in our industry. For transportation, people broker all sorts of things, not just freight, but maintenance and other types of services. And usually sophisticated buyers are able to find out pretty quickly what you're getting paid or what the what the delta is. Our industry for moving freight is kind of different because it's so fragmented. There are tons and tons of shippers and there's tons and tons of brokers and there's tons and tons of motor carriers. And the question becomes, what is the regulation that the feds should be taking with all of these different players that are happening? And the feds have been pretty much candid saying, look, we want transparency. We want people to be able to say, this is what we're making. This is what we're doing and have the ability for someone to, to kind of dig into it. This is this same kind of question we talk about. We'll get to in a little bit of you know, double brokers or dispatchers. All of these players are really important to the supply chain, but not all of them have the same kind of regulatory framework behind them. And when we're talking about brokers and the money that they're making on given transactions, when we see the market shift, there's a lot more people, the motor carriers especially, who are clamoring for better transparency because they are not making enough to get home. They're not making enough to cover their cost. And they're thinking maybe the brokers are the ones who are making all the money. And maybe they are. Maybe we don't, we don't really know because there's really not a lot of transparency there. There isn't a lot of transparency. I remember when this movement really started. Yeah, I remember very well because it was early days of pandemic and we were, were covering it every day at, at Fruit Waves and you're talking about March, April, May of 2020 when when spot rates were a dollar a mile. But, but there was an economic shutdown. There was no demand. There's no load volume out there. So, of course, the supply and demand imbalance went out of whack. And you're talking maybe 90 days. I, I think it was more like 30 to 60 days of the height of it. And then you had, what, two years of the, the carriers being on the right side of the supply to demand equation, right? And and what they were charging, right? And and disclosure. So, I don't want to, 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 to say, well, freight brokers are right and carriers are wrong or, or anything like that. But... You said it very well. When the market shifts, you see these, and this is free market economics of where if you have a contract in place with your customer, your shipper customer, and the spot rate goes down, and you're buying on the spot rate, and your your margins increasing, um, that's nothing nefarious. That's 
not collusion. That is not something that is really underhanded. That is having a long-term contract at a guarantee rate and buying on the spot market. And that's, you know, any commodity that you do that with, that's how an intermediary makes their money or loses their money. That's right. It's about knowing your worth. If you're a motor carrier, you can tell how much you're going to get with the work that you do. Maybe use brokers, maybe you don't, but you get the value that you provide. And so we all go back and forth and say, okay, whose side is winning right now? Well, that's the side that's the most uh, uh, the most egregious. Uh, it's always this way. It, it has never been not this way. Ever since deregulation, the explosion of motor carriers and brokers and intermediaries means that there will always be winners and losers. And with trucking and transportation specifically, we are all of the things, everything you buy, everything that you move, whether it's at a restaurant or a retail store or manufacturers or at a warehouse, everything is trucking. And so when markets shift, we are the ones that see it first. We're the ones that recover first. And people will always be thinking that someone else has a better deal than them. And ultimately, it's this idea that if we're all playing the same game, we should all make the same margin. And that's just not the case. Uh, there is additional value for knowing the right people at the right place to move the right freight. And that charges a premium. And I think as time goes on, we'll have this constant shifting of who's at fault, who's the worst actor. But at the end of the day, everyone has a profit motive to safely deliver freight on time and undamaged. And if you can safely deliver freight on time and undamaged, you can charge a premium. Yeah. I mean, we could always go back to regulation where, you know, <laughs> we had government approved routes and rates. I mean, if that's what people want, we can do that. You know, I think that failed miserably. Absolutely. Uh, so I mean, any better for a lot of different parties, you know? I mean, truck driver wages haven't really gone up. Is that because of deregulation or regulation? That's a whole nother show. Oh, uh, yeah. A whole nother mini-series, limited series on that exactly one, probably, right. uh, uh, <laughs> on that one. But at the end of the day, here's my other question. At the end of the day, right, so if I'm a broker and I'm sharing my rates with the carriers I work with and they can see it, uh, what does that really do? I mean, what actionable items do the carriers have? You know, I'm being unpaid. Okay, I'll go get another carrier. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I, I don't know. You get to know. What's the end game? Yeah, if you get to know what people make money-wise, does that change your behavior? Probably not. I mean, if you're still able, able to cover your costs and make yourself profitable, you're good. I think what people think will happen is that they'll see, oh, this brokerage is getting so much money, we're going to make them disgorge the profits to the motor carrier. And that's just not going to happen. Like, that's never going to happen. So yeah. the idea that transparency will clear or uh, you know solve some of these issues, I don't think it does that. But I don't think it's appropriate to remove the regulation entirely. If you can contract around it, contract around it. You're fine. That's perfectly legal. So I, that's how I look. I don't think there's massive changes that are necessary, at least in that regard. So you're talking about the status quo. So don't remove the whatever number that is, 317P yeah. or, or whatever. I can't think of it. 371.3. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly. And don't mandatory, don't put in the role where you can't waive that right. Exactly. Exactly. Either. This, I, so we have, well, exactly. And this is what we've talked about in our previous conversations. Owner operators are businesses, right? These are businesses. And if you have a contract that you don't like, you redline it. You have the ability to make mm -hmm. modifications. We do not need the federal government to come in and say, you shouldn't be allowed to make that contract. That's not fair to you. These are adults. If they don't want to have that part of their provision, then they move it. Um, there is some education that I think will be useful for people, but we don't need government coming in and telling us what contracts we can and can't have between business entities. Uh, individuals, that's a whole other story. 
I mean, I think at the end of the day, you're going to find that the, the, the pricing and the margins collected by brokers are on a normal distribution, right? That at 15 to 16%, 17% is, is what most loads are. You're going to have your outliers uh, where you're losing money as a broker, uh, but you're going to have the, the, where you're getting 300% margin on a load here and there because of some strange uh, circumstances that all loads aren't created equal. Sometimes the, the plant shuts down if that load doesn't get there. So you're going to make 300% on this because you find the right carrier who needs to get there anyway. So those things happen. Absolutely. I mean, but then, I'm not going to sit here and have a whole book of business where I make 300% margins. I mean, that'd be nice. And that's what people think happens. You're exactly right. People think that's how it happens. They hear the big story and go, oh, this company made so much money. But that's what gets the media attention. That That, that is an outlier. Yeah. It is an aberration. The thing that I think is useful for people to understand is why the, the regulations are useful is if you get in detention, right? Like let's say the, the broker gets a big pile of money for detention and just chooses not to give it to the motor carrier. Well, if you request the documents, you can say, oh, you were paid all this. Can I have that money? That's that's useful. That's important. That, that really is useful, and that's uh, I, I, I said at the beginning of the show, you make me think about things I haven't really thought about. I wasn't even thinking about detention, but that is where it's very useful because that is something that uh, there's a lot of abuse in the industry of freight brokers pocketing all of the detention, maybe half of it. Maybe they're, they're taking a huge cut off that. Now, that is where I think there is abuse. On the rate side, it's free market. Everyone's struggling. When you get to accessorials, that's where you play a little game. And this is why that regulation for transparency is very useful. That's why you wouldn't want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Because even if you can waive it through a contract, as a default thing, we should keep it. And that's why we talked before. I think status quo is probably okay in this instance. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I definitely do. Uh, Let's let's, uh, flip over to to double brokering and kind of what's going on there. you know, it's, it's become an issue over the last two or three years. And, you know, when I was a, when I was brokering five, six, seven, ten years ago, it was a problem. But um, sometimes you look the other way because you just need to get a load covered. Sometimes there's there's people who just double broker. Um, but but now you, I think you have like organized organized double brokering outfits running around that were double brokering during the height of capacity and, and getting trucks and. And maybe just taking a cut uh, off the top and and offering good service or bad service, uh, but I think that's this devolving now that you know everyone's screwing for loads and and margin into out and right fraud. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. So double brokering is not necessarily illegal, right? The FMCSA doesn't come in and say. These are the rules for when you can double broker when you can't. We typically call co-brokering when every party kind of knows what's happening. But I've seen people who will go and buy a bunch of stuff at Sam's Club and then resell it on Amazon. Like there are double broker happens at all sorts of instances. Mm-hmm. What I think people are concerned with is what is the regulator's position here? What should they be doing? And as you've talked about it, this is organized crime at some level. The people that are doing double brokering aren't in this country. They're somewhere else. How do you enforce anything against them? Could you ban them from a load board? Sure, they'll make another one. So it becomes this really challenging problem and no one really knows how you solve it. And so this is why this this issue has been you know constant and I don't see it going away anytime soon. I, I don't either because I mean I think um, 
I, I think it's just too easy in, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, identity theft, because um, all you have to do is grab the MC number, pose as somebody, and I mean, it, it's just insane to me. I mean, it's it's how simple it is, and it didn't really happen. You, you had different, you had a pocket here, maybe a pocket there, one person here, one person there, seven, eight years ago, but now it seems like you have, as, as you said, people offshore who, that's their business. That's what they're getting up and, every day doing. Actually, and what we the, the way you cure this is by doing better due diligence. Make mm-hmm. phone calls. Talk to the people that you're working with. Get to know them. Get to know their business. If you're just trying to find this one-off time and you're going to move something and then you all end up having it double brokered, you know, that sucks. That's unfortunate. Again, it's, it's not a majority of the issue. That's it's a piece of what happens in transportation. But when you take the time to know your motor carriers, know your shippers, and know who's going to move things, uh, it's not nearly as challenging. And ultimately, there's a question of fraud when you when you present yourself as something that you're not. So you're saying, oh, I'm actually an asset-based carrier, but in reality, you have no assets. Okay, that's interesting. Or you're a dispatcher who you say you don't move freight, you just help trucking companies move freight. But oh my goodness, you're negotiating with the, sh- with the, sh- the shipper on the rate you're going to have this motor carrier. Well, now you're looking a lot more like a broker. And so we have to kind of understand that this is a very nebulous kind of part of the business. There are specific intermediaries we understand, shippers, motor carriers, brokers. But there's these other things that are happening in our business with dispatching companies or asset-based carriers that have a brokerage division and they get the award loaded to them. Then they just use their own brokerage business to then send another motor carrier to move it. All of these are really complicated. And the Federal Motor Care Safety Administration, their primary focus is safety. So yes, we want to make sure people that are participating in arranging freight have some level of, uh, you know, what is their insurance they require? What bonds should they have? But at the end of the day, uh, it's a complicated business and it's not going to be easily solved because it's the barrier to enter is so low. It, it is it's very low. Do you think dispatch services will will fall under that umbrella to to be regulated? Maybe you have to get an MC number, USDOT number to to, to operate five years so in, in five. Everything moves slowly. Oh yeah, we, we I, I think it's years, three years, five years, whatever. Do, do you think we're moving to that to where that's going to be under the umbrella of 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 regulatory? I, I think so. I think it's a natural progression of the work that dispatchers do. And it really comes down to what activities that dispatcher does. So we'll have this, you know, the FMCSA has kind of put this out. Here are the examples of things we're going to look at. Do you actually have drivers ready or are you going out and trying to find a driver once the load is in your hands? So I think you'll have more regulation, at least in terms of clearly defining these roles and what types of, you know, requirements they need to have. But I think that that will not fly under the radar. I don't believe the big brokerage businesses want to see uh, a bunch of dispatchers popping up. And I think dispatching becomes an avenue for abuse in this idea of double brokering, where you're the dispatcher working with another broker to have this thing moved and you're representing one motor carrier and you're doing kind of other things. But my hope is we have less regulation ultimately as we kind of go down this path. But there's just so many ways people move freight today, and there's so many different roles that are out there. It's inevitable that there will be regulation around these types of personas in our in our industry. I think so too, because I, I think dispatch services uh, the, the the core of that provides a service, it provides a, a real service, right at the core of dispatching. But since it's not regulated, it's very ill defined. 
dispatching could be anything, right? And it has become anything, you know? And if you can set up a, a shop without, you know, insurance or MC numbers or any of the other low barriers that are already there and make it even lower, then you can uh, come in and pose as dispatchers and 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 play the gray markets and 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 corners and game the system a little bit too much. You're 100% right. The ultimate thing is what activity do they do? And then we define what those really require. Because if you can be a dispatcher and get all the profits that a broker gets, but have none of the compliance, that sounds wonderful. And everyone will do that. And we don't want everyone to do that. It's all fun and games until you get sued and you have to bring in the lawyers. That's right. I mean, remember, when we go after somebody, when when the lawyer is suing you for whatever has happened, uh, we're looking at your insurance policy limitations. And if we think we can get above that, we will. We'll go after your assets. We'll go after your home, your cars, whatever. And if you're a dispatching service and you're providing some level of brokerage, which you didn't really think about, uh, your business is in deep, deep jeopardy because you will be tagged and you will be found liable if it all you know plays out that way. You will be you'll be in trouble because lawyers will find the money. Whoever's got the money, that's who they'll go after. Matt, we're running out of time here. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Matthew Leffler, the armchair attorney. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Great to see you again, my friend. You too. And you can find Matt on LinkedIn, Matthew Leffler, the, the armchair attorney. And you can reach out and, and talk about these topics with him. He's a, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, But yeah, so that wraps it up for this episode of Put That Coffee Down. Once again, we have a lot of audio versions. Um, You can go to YouTube and watch all the TV shows, the complete library, just uh, YouTube for it waves or go wherever you download your podcast. But that's going to wrap it for this edition of Put That Coffee Down. I got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expenses, cause wind is expensive. I got expenses, cause wind is expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting down the stars. Cause when it rain, then it pours. And I'm ready for some more.